The Stages podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our artists and audiences meet. We pay our respect to past, present and emerging elders. We acknowledge the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives. Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hi there, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. It's not often that one has the opportunity to speak with an individual whose story helped to inspire a Tony-winning Broadway musical. That musical is Come From Away a show that examines the impact of the September 11th attack on the Twin Towers in New York City, on a small town in Canada, and the response of its citizens to ensure the safety and care of 7,000 world citizens forced to land in the town. Oz Fudge was on duty monitoring speedsters in the school zone when he was alerted to the terrorist attack in New York. The response, care and generosity over the following week has come to illustrate the tremendous kindness of humanity. Oz has now joined the ranks of Harold Hill, Tevye and Danny Zuko in becoming a character in a Broadway musical. But it is as a result of being a fascinating part of a story that changed the world. Oz Fudge was recently in Sydney where we caught up and he keenly shared his experience of that week whilst also heralding the brilliance of the musical Come From Away, which is now on tour around Australia and New Zealand. Oz Fudge, welcome to Sydney. Thank you. Glad to be here. You've seen a bit of the world, I imagine, with uh, Come From Away. Yes. I've, well, I was, I was down in Melbourne uh, about three years ago, and I've been to London. I've been to... New York, Toronto, Ottawa, I've been to Seattle, and I've been to L.A. So it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, you know, for, a, as I always say, for a medium chubby town cop from Gander, Newfoundland, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad at all. <laughs> yeah. Also, what is not bad is um, the great musicals that we've seen through history have, have wonderful characters like Tevye and Henry Higgins and oh, Pro- <laughs> Professor Harold Hill. You know? yeah. And now it must be a great source of pride to know that Oz Fudge is a yeah. character in a great musical. because yeah. most people, and I was most people, a lot of the Americans that I've met cannot believe there's such a person as Oswald Fudge. <laughs> 
and uh, you know they they just can't get over it that, that my parents would name me Oswald Fudge, but that's it. That's a name I had to live with, and it has become a little bit noteworthy over the last few years. Uh, you grew up in Gander. Uh, yes. Yes. yes and 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 your folks were there, did they? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So see, I was actually born in Lewisport, which is about uh, forty minutes away from Gander. And I moved to Gander when I was nine or ten years old, and that's where I I lived most of my life. I moved away to Alberta. I uh, was working up there with the Alberta Highway Patrol, and then my wife hated Alberta and wanted to come home. There's no saying, how do you tell a Newfoundlander in heaven? He's the one who wants to go home. <laughs> and that's the way it is with my wife. She wanted to go home. And I came home and actually lucked into the job with the town police in Gander. So on September 11, you were one of two policemen, I believe. Yes. Well, see, the, the town is policed by the RCMP. Hmm. They're the provincial police force. Right. Right. And then there's municipal police force, which was myself and a gentleman by the name of Paul Matheson. Now, we were called what they call back then as community constables. We were hired by the town, were paid by the town, but we were sworn in under the RCMP Act. Yep. So we had different authorities and different things that we could do. When did you first hear about the, the Twin Towers? Uh, see... <laughs> People are not going to believe this, but I mean, I was sitting in my police car and I was running radar <laughs> on the airport boulevard. It's the only four lane in Gander. Well, there's a wonderful, iconic line at the opening of Come From Away. Uh-huh. Slow the fuck down. Oh, that one. Uh, yeah, I was just getting to that one. <laughs> I was getting to that. I got T-shirts made of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, and that's what I was doing. I'd run a radar. And I had all my radios turned down because uh, not only do I have an RCMP radio, but I have a town police radio and I have a, a public works radio in my car. Right. And our public works fellows, when they talk into the car, into the radio, it's like they're shouting because the guy is two miles away. And so I turned it all down. I said, this is giving me a headache. So I turned it all down. I even turned down my AM, FM radio. And then I kind of was looking around and I looked over to my right and I saw Bonnie Harris. And Bonnie was like this, screaming at me, Oz, Oz, turn on your radio. And I'm looking at this and I said, what the gee, she wanted me to turn my radio for? So I looked down and I started to turn up my police radio. No, you fool, turn on CBC radio. And I did. And when I did, I heard it. And I'm going to tell you, my first thought was this was uh, Orson Welles. A War of the Worlds. War of like the a, Worlds. a radio play. Yes. Yeah. I thought this was a jock in the United States in New York trying to get a name for himself, yeah. and this is what he was doing. Yeah. And so I went home, turned on the TV, and when I seen that, uh, and so I went to the RCMP detachment, and they said, we're all, all RCMP have been required to go to the airport. You, as the town police, the town is yours. Anything serious happen, call us. Other than that, you handle it. And I'll get to the ST, STFD now. Seems you, you brought it up. Because <laughs> it is right at the beginning of the play. And I never expected David and Irene to put that into play. Well, it's, a, it's a very much of a verbatim piece, yes. isn't it? So it's yeah. the, the words of real people are used yeah. within the musical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, I was doing an interview with them, and they, they said, well, do you do anything different, unusual? And I said, well... Uh, when a young person gets their driver's license, all right, they're cocking a walk. They think they know the world, that's it. Yep. I don't need mom, I don't need dad. Yep. All I need is your money, 
and the car. And the first week that they're driving, it's 10 to 2 on the wheel, and the music is down low, and they got nobody in the car with them. But the second week, it's one hand on the wheel, little. the radio's up a little bit, there's probably one in the car, and the gas pedal is a little close to the floor. More confidence. Yeah. The third week, the arm is hanging over the steering wheel, the wheel is down, the window's down, <laughs> the music is blasting, and there's four of them in the car. Yeah. And the gas pedal is really close to the floor. And there's nothing to take the wind out of your sails than to see the red and blue come on. Yeah. So when I pulled over, I, I pretended like the old uh, um, uh, Texas Ranger cop, a medium chubby fella, open up the door, I'd kick the door open, and I'd slam it, and I'd walk up, you know, like I'm really mad with them, and, and I'll just say, give me your driver's license, registration, insurance. And they're shaking, and you could see the big crocodile tears coming down. <laughs> and I say, you know, you know why I stopped you? No, no, like hell, you don't. You were speeding. Yeah, I guess so. And he'd give me the papers, and I walk back to the car. No, I never ever wore my forge cap, but for the kids, I did because right. they could. I could see their eyes, but you can't see mine. Right. Right. Yep. So I go on back to the car, and I get in the car, and I'm raising out to take it. And while I'm doing that, I'm kind of looking at their rear view mirror and their side mirror, and you can see their faces blood red, and they're crying, and you know <laughs> the music is down low now, and everybody's sitting up straight in the car. And then I'll, but when I get to the penalty section, I would write S T F D, and then I'd finish the ticket. And then I'd do the same thing again, go up to the car, and I'd hand it to them. Normally, when you hand a ticket. You know, you had the right to, you know, court, go to court. You know, you've been charged with this, 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 this. And I don't say anything. That. I just hand them a ticket. And they're shaking and, you know, they're doing all this stuff. <laughs> and then they look at me and say, um, how much is it? And I'd say, read it. And they read. And next thing you know, they'd stop. And they'd look at me and look at the ticket. Well, what does STFD mean? And I'd say, I don't know. You tell me. And then I always said, there's always one in the car, the joker. You know, he's the guy that, you know, and you would see the hand come up. And I go, yes, I know what it is. And what's that? Slow the fuck down. And I touch my nose and I point to the young fella and say, exactly. And I walk back to the car and go on. Brilliant. You're teaching them a very valuable lesson. Yes, and I, you know, I never had a repeat customer, and uh, I don't know how many parents came up to me and said, what a life lesson you've given my son or mm. my daughter. Because, mm. you know, they only get six points, and if the insurance company finds out they got a speeding ticket, then their insurance will double. Yeah. And so uh, some of the speeds that the kids were doing would have been four points and $345 plus what the insurance company was going to do to them. And, uh, you know, I never had a repeat customer. And, and uh, I, I just thought it was a, a good way to reach the young people. The naivety of youth. Mm. They think they can get away with anything. Um, and, and we have to make mistakes to learn, yes. don't we? Yeah. Yes. I, I said uh, to, as a matter of fact, the taxi driver runs back here. I said, you know, uh, my philosophy is that when a young person turns 13, they take a stupid pill. And they do stupid things from 13 to about 18. Now, someone take more than one stupid pill and they continue on into their 20s. But they do stupid things. And you don't want those stupid things 
to ruin their future. No. Right? No, no. You know, how many people have said, I would like to have this federal government job, but I can't because I had this. Yes, in the past. And I'd done something stupid when yep. I was 18 or 16 or 15. So that's that was my philosophy. So after September 11, of course, the airspace was effectively closed down yes. and, and all planes in the air had to land at the, the nearest possible yes. airport. Gander International Airport, I believe, have has some of the, the longest runways in the world. They do. Yeah, so that was the ideal location. Yes, and you know because we have an air traffic control center there, and what that air traffic control center does, it controls all the flights that leave North America to go to Europe, and they go halfway, and then Shannon Ireland picks them up and brings them the rest of the way. So, you know, when this happened, they were the ones who were controlling the flights. Then they were told, "All right, get as many down on the ground as quick as possible." Halifax, I think, had we had 38. Halifax had 49 or something like that, and St. John's had 21, and Stephenville had a couple. So they, they, you know, put them out over that. Now, uh, I don't mind saying this, but our, our, after it was all over, Minister of Transportation or Minister of Defense, he was asked why were these planes sent to these small airports, and he said that the reason is if a plane went down in Toronto or Montreal, it would do more damage and kill more people. Wow, yeah. So it made it sound like our lives were worth nothing. Mm. Which, you know, uh, some people would consider it an insult, but as Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, we said, no, nah, no, nah, we understood. We understood that. We know the game. There's a tremendous sense, a tremendous sense of community, obviously, in, yes. in Gander, and that comes through in the musical. Yes, uh, come from where it's celebration of the of human kindness and yes. and looking after one another. So, again, the ideal place for those um, seven thousand people yes. to, to land. Well, I I always said seven thousand people dropped in for a bucket of tea and a bicky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, but that type of, I always say it's in our in, uh, it's in our DNA. Mm. It's who we are. Mm. You know, uh, we don't have to strive to be kind. We are. You know, and, and like uh, an example is I was working one night, we had a fire, and it was on a house on Alcock Crescent, and it was Mrs. Dooley, and she was 92 years old. Her son was home and fell asleep with a cigarette, caught the place on fire. And the fire trucks are still there putting out the fire and everything else, and a car shows up. Out gets a lady, and she's got a bun, some bread, and some pies, and some cookies and stuff. Mrs. Dooley, uh, I I heard about the fire, so I I brought this because I know you're going to have to stay somewhere else, and we'll get you, you know, want to get you some food. And off they go, and then another one come by, and said, Mrs. Dooley, I heard about the fire, so I went over to Walmart and I bought some an, a nightgown and some other things and some toiletries for you, because I know you're going to have to stay somewhere else, and all of it is in the house. And that's and the cars were coming and going like that. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. An example of an everyday occurrence. Yes, yeah. and and this. This is not just attributed to Gander, but it's the whole province of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's just the way we are. Explain to me the, the nickname, The Rock. Because that's what we are, Big Rock. Big Rock, you called him Big Rock. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. We're living on a rock. Exists between a rock and a hard place. Yes. <laughs> Newfoundland and Labrador was always considered, you know, the, uh, the rock. 
and it was always a hard place to live. Now our weather's changed a little bit, but uh, you know, you guys call this winter here, and it's raining. Yeah. Uh, winter for us. You see how much rain you got? Mm. That would be snow for us. Yeah. Um, uh, two or three years ago, uh, I got a call. I was working. I'm still working, so it had to be four years ago. And a lady called me from Ogilvy Street, and she said, "I need help." She said. I've called everybody, I can't get help. And I said, okay, what's wrong? She said, I'm in my house, I'm on Ogilvy, and I can't get out. I can't see out. I don't know anything. I'm a diabetic, I'm this, I'm that, and I'm in a panic because I can't get out. So uh, my son Jamie is here, along with my other son I call Sasquatch, that's Kevin, and, and a friend of theirs. They went out there, and I went out. And the only way that they could find the house was Jamie had to get up on the snowbank and walk around and look for the roof. And once he found the roof, he had to clear the snow away to find a corner so he could figure out where her driveway was. And they took, uh, they only cleared about that much going in and they found her front door and it took them four hours to do it. And that was three of them with a snowblower and shovels. And they, had, they used to have to push the snow down, and the blower would push it and blow it push out. Push it away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, that's, that's, that's our winter. Yeah. <laughs> impressive, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, September 12 in 2001, yeah. uh, we've got 7,000 people coming off planes. Yeah. I mean, your population at that time was really only about 9,000, was it? 9,300. Yeah. We got hit hard, you know, with the base, uh, military base and everything else. But yeah, there was only 9,300 people. And uh, and people have to realize when that 9,300, that's from the newborn baby right up to the senior that's in the home. Uh, so we kind of guesstimated to be about 3,000 people taking care of six and a half, seven thousand 7,000 people. Now we were lucky because Glenwood and Appleton, Lewisport, Gamble uh, chipped in. Other communities were waiting. They said, if you guys get any more planes, you need some space, then we're available. Were you one of the first faces that they met coming off the planes? No, we, they, they were at the airport scene and I was downtown. They, uh, the RCMP were there. The, the beauty of it all, we, our Red Cross, all right, some of the people with the Red Cross had been at other disaster areas around the world. So they pretty well vested in, in how this was going to go. Mm. And it was brilliant how they set it up. You know, like pilots were the ones that got the hotel rooms. We only had 500 hotel rooms. And they said, well, pilots got to have it because they got to have a certain amount of rest yeah. before they can fly. Yeah. And you can't have them lying on a floor in a school. Yeah. And then, you know, it went from there. And then they took each plane load. Now, if there was a lot on the plane, they split it up, but they, you know, recorded everybody, recorded everybody, what school, what church, what uh, town they went to, they did everything. And then the Salvation Army took over once they got through that end of it, and the Salvation Army was the ones that feeding them. In Newfoundland and Labrador, one of the things about Salvation Army, they love to eat. Right? They're good at it. They're really good at it. You ask, if you ever get a chance to talk to Clyde Elliott, you ask Clyde, Clyde Pentecost, or Salvation Army, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. So they took care of the food. And then the rest, for me, what it was, was uh, you can imagine now uh, a person, you get off a plane and you have put on a bus 
and taken to a school mm. where you don't know. New Newfoundland Labrador, where the heck is that? Could be landing on another yeah. planet. Right? Yeah, you don't know who they are, what we are, anything. And you're, you know, and so they said, what we want you to do is go to every venue that there's passengers and go in and fly the colors. Go in and see if you can help. And then, and that's what I did for the five days. St. Paul's, Gander Collegiate College, North Atlantic, Legion, Lions Club, the Elks Club, all the churches, wherever there was a place that a person could put their head down, I went there. Fire hall, the whole works. And, and that's what I did. The airport I, I read during World War II was a, a critical refueling stop for the oh, yeah. U.S. Yeah. military yeah. before they went to yeah. Europe. Yeah, the, all, any aircraft that went to uh, Gander, especially the bombers, they had to uh, land in Gander, and then they had to refuel, and they had to take some stuff off of them so they could go the whole way, and then they'd go on. Uh, it was called Ferry Command. Uh, our local museum is trying to get a building. We have one of the only uh, usable Hudson bombers left in the world today. There's only two, wow. and one of them is in Gander, but it's outside. And, uh, and the museum is trying to raise enough funds to build a hangar big enough to put that thing in there. Because right. it's, you know... It's, so it doesn't perish. Yeah. yeah. It's worth over a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. And it's stuck outside. And if you take it and uh, sort of, fix, you know, grease it up a little bit, you could fly it out of there. And, and we got it left outside. Does the airport still operate as an international airport? Yes. It does. Yeah, we still get some international flights. They come in the gas up and go on. We used to call ourselves the biggest gas station in the world. Wow. Yeah. Of course. How, how's tourism since the musical? Oh, it's gone through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before COVID hit, um, our museum used to have uh, 6,000 visitors a year on the average, and now they're up, uh, they were up to 18,000, 20,000 which is a lot for a museum. And uh, it's just been amazing. When you, Brian Mosier and myself and, and Beulah, Beulah Cooper, we screech people in. And now bus tours are coming all the time to get screeched in by, well, three uh, members of the, uh, the cast, or not the cast, but uh, portrayed in the play. And we do screech-ins. And the money goes to the Legion, because the Legion's building is in rough shape. And we try and uh, do something for the Legion. Now the screechings describe that routine, that ritual. Well, it's, it's, it's to do with fish, isn't it? Well, sort it's of. But it's portrayed in the musical. Yes, it's yeah. portrayed in, because uh, now everybody does their own way for screechings. Uh, for myself and Brian and Beulah, the first thing you eat is a piece of bologna, because Newfoundland and Labrador. When I was growing up, that's the, I mean that was a staple food for us was bologna, yeah. and Vienna sausages. Oh, geez, yeah, bologna and Vienna sausages, that was it. And then we'd have uh, capelin. Now, uh, capelin is a little small fish to come in to spawn. Every, as a matter of fact, they're coming in now while I'm here, down back in Newfoundland. And they, they come in by the hundreds of millions and they spawn and they, the whales chase them. Yeah. The whales are sometimes 30 feet offshore and they're just feeding and then they, they breach in the air. When they're full, they, they're happy. So you know you can watch that, um, but then we have hard bread. Uh, we use the hard bread for fish and brews. You put it in the water and soak it. But the bread is as hard as this table. 
Right. You know, when we were kids, and mother would want, because there was eight in my family, mother would want to shut us up. So she'd give us a half a piece of hard bread, and we'd be there for three or four hours trying to eat it. And so hard because it would last longer? Oh, yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. they used to call it, uh, when there were ships were coming from England to come over and fish, you know, they, bread. So they used to, as Brian would say, they'd dry the shed out of it, and, and it would be very hard so it could last the whole trip across. Yeah. And then uh, we have um, uh, Jam Jam Cookies. Uh, Purity Factories in St. John's has been there now for 150 years. And the staple of, of our sweet is uh, the Jam Jam Cookie and also the Peppermint Knob. And the uh, Queen of England visited the plant where they were making the Peppermint Knob. Knobs, and of course the smell. And she, she likes them and they send her some all the time. And uh, she was going through the, the plant and she walked up to some young fellow and said to him, what do we make here? And he looked at her and said, eight twenty-five an hour, your majesty. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Brian was talking to the owner of the, the Purity Factory. He said, he said that's, that is true. That's exactly what happened. Poor young fellow would pay all because he did. I bet she was amused. Yes. <laughs> kind of caught her off guard, but, you know, that's what it is. Um, so the screeching. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, and then, uh, of course, you have to, with the screeching, and once that's done, the peppermint knob and everything, then you have to say something. Right. And uh, the question is asked, is your new by? And your answer is, DJ is my old cock, long may your big jib draw. And you have to say that as fast as I do. And, and, and you've usually had a couple of sherbets, well, yes, you? you, you, you <laughs> but the way in which they used to do it years ago is if you said it wrong, you had to drink screech. Right. And we never ever finished uh, the screeching as everybody's passed out drunk. <laughs> so we, we, we help them along to say that. And then uh, then it's over the lips, pass me gums, look out guts, here she comes, and away, and you take a shot. And you can't sip it, you can't, you've got to throw it back. And then uh, you got to kiss the cod. Yeah. And we call it Tom the Cod. Tom Cod. Because that's what it is, Tom Cod. See? And then uh, you get your certificate to say that you're an honorary Newfoundlander Labrador. It's a wonderful, fun sequence. It is. It is. Yeah. And it's, it is done all the time. And people that come to Newfoundland and Labrador now to visit, that's the one thing that they want to do is screech in. Yeah. You know, and uh, Brian and I do it for the Legion with bus tours, and the Legion makes the money out of it. Mm. Now, the come from a ways is a term that's always existed, yes. hasn't it? Yes. Uh, referring to people who yeah. are, are not uh, locals. Yeah. You know, mainlanders or come from a wayers. Are you a come from a wayer? Yes. What was the process in constructing the musical? Uh, the creators came to Gander yeah. and interviewed you all? Yes. Uh, um, you know, they, they came down, and David and Irene, and they, uh, during the, the 15th anniversary, we, we got messages saying that these two were down here and they wanted to talk to, like myself, and to Brian and Beulah and a few of They talked to a lot of people. They talked to, and then they went back to Ontario and they put it together. And as David and Irene said, uh, before they started to write it, and the play was three hours long, and they still hadn't had the passengers off the planes yet. So they had to figure out how to narrow it down. And I always said that, you know, it was like a uh, lottery. 
uh, luck of the draw, and they picked me as one of the characters. And uh, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Yes, I, I, with your population of, of um, 9,000, they really would have to condense yes. some characters into, uh, yeah. into the one character. Yeah, but. well, that's what they did with Brian. Brian Mosier yeah. uh, is Janice Mosier in the play. Right. It's, and it's Janice Gowdy. She was the Beacon reporter, our local newspaper, and Brian was the Rogers uh, Cable um, reporter. So their storylines have been merged. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then they had... Uh, Beulah Cooper and Diane Davis, and they merged those two. You know, so they, you know, they they had to to try and get everything in. Did you uh, participate in many interviews, or was it they just sat down with you for a couple of hours? Oh, I think it was four hours. Right. Yeah, and then um, they went back to Ontario, and it was supposed to be just done for Sheraton College hmm. in Ontario. That's what it was designed for. It began yeah. just as a yes, project there. Because Michael know. Rubinoff, he was the, the, the brains behind it all. He was, he was the dean of Sheraton College, and he heard about what went on in Gander, and he felt there was something there. And he went looking for writers to write it, and he couldn't find anybody. And then it just so happened that David and Irene had just finished a little local play. So he approached them, and they said yes. And what they did is they sent him to Newfoundland, uh, to Gander, on a grant from the federal government. Uh, they were able to stay three weeks longer because, like in the play, they'd go to Gander, they went to Gamble, and the people, they interviewed the people, and the people said, well, geez, I'm going away for a couple of weeks. Here's the key to the house. Make sure the cats are fed. And they went on, and David and Irene stayed there for a while. And it was the same thing that was happening in Gander and in other places. So they, they just... You know, they were able to get a lot of stuff that they needed. Yeah. And then you had the, the, the wonderful contributions of the director and choreographer and yes. designer. And yes. it is such a, a perfect musical. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was talking to Kenny. He's one of the um, owners of Junkyard Dog Productions, Kenny Anhoff. He said he was sitting in the audience watching the play. The students were doing it. There was some kind of a form that was going on in Seattle. So he sat there and he listened to it. And he said, when it was over, he jumped up, ran up on stage and said, I want this play. Wow. Unbelievable. And, uh, and then they got Chris Ashley as the director. And, you know, through, from what we understand, through the jigs and the reels, uh, there is no break in the play. Mm. And then what they're thinking was in Gander, in Lewisport, in, you know, there was no break. You went for five days, and there was no break. Yeah, you know. So that's that was the premise behind that. Have you kept count of how many productions you've seen? I'm around forty. Wow, that's wonderful. And where I live in Newfoundland, Labrador, now I can only see them when I go to different places. Uh, Nick and Diane, I think they're up around two hundred, and uh, Beverly Bass is even more than that. There was one young girl in New York. The last time I talked to her, she was at 319. That's fabulous. Yeah. I, you know, people talk, the play to me, and it's not because Oz Fudge is in it or anything else like this, but if you sit down and you look at that play and what it says and what it means, it's, it, with today, the way things are, 
It's needed. It's needed. I, I, I'm willing to bet that when you see that play and you walk out, you're thinking back to the day when you were growing up in which you knew your neighbors and you had your friends. And that's what that, I think, gives a lot of people my age. And, and there's some hope. And for the younger people, that gives them hope. Yes, that's what I'd like to have. That's, that's, that's it there. Instead of turn on the TV today. And look at it, geez, there's another mass shooting in, in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, give me a break. It's a real tonic, you know, and certainly here in Australia when we've had bushfire disasters yes. and floods. Yes. Um, and, and community rises and comes together yes. to, to, to help one another. That, so. and, and, that, and that's what that play is about. Mm. It's okay. You know, it's okay to help someone. It's okay to love someone. It's okay to be, you know. Uh, it's okay to do little things for people. Hold the door open. Mm. Say good day. You know, uh, when I'm walking the streets in Gander, uh, we're always, uh, you know, how's it going? What are you at? That's a new thing. What are you at? And the answer is, does it? You know, well, that's, that's part of the thing too. That's part of the screech in. You got to learn how to say it, talk like a noof. But that's, that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's a totally different life. I've had Americans come to to Gander, and when they're leaving, they're crying, saying, "I can't believe that I've this place even exists." Has there ever been any talk of staging a production in Gander? Uh, I I think there was always the fear that they didn't want to touch perfection. I guess is what it is. <laughs> uh, we've we've been trying to get them to do something. A little bit. Gamble, which is a community about uh, 30 minutes from, they have their own version of Come From Away in which they tell the stories of Gamble. Right. Right? And, uh, you know, they're, they're, I haven't, we've suggested it in Gander that they should do something. Now, whether they do or not, I don't know. We've missed a major opportunity when it comes to tourism with that, in that aspect of it. Never, you never know, do you? No, you never know. No, it's uh, it's a it's a beautiful play. Yeah, it is. It really is, and I'm hoping that. Uh, well, I know when I was in Melbourne, uh, the crowds really took to it. So I'm hoping that the this is going to happen again. Uh, the world really needs it. Mm. Oz, tell me about the the hug that was heard around the world. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you knew about that one. <laughs> Well, what it was, uh, as you know, police officer. And it's Wednesday afternoon, and I'm driving along, and the phone rings, and I answer it, and I go, oh my God, this is Cheryl McCollum. She's a deputy sheriff of Pinellas County, somewhere down in, in Georgia. And she said, uh, I want you to do me a favor. And I said, well, sure, what do you want? She says, you remember now, you're part of the police brotherhood. And when one officer asks another officer for a favor, you have to do it. And in my true Newfie fashion, I said, now you listen here, my dear. I'm cheap and easy. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. And she said, well, my sister, Charlene Bowen, is at the Irving West Hotel. She's in room 111. I want you to go knock on the door. I want you to give her a hug. I want you to tell her we love her, we miss her, and we can't wait for her to come home. And I thought, well, 
give a stewardess a hug. Well, that's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> so I said, all right, then, my dear, I'll do it. And so I went down to the Irving West, and I went to 111, and she wasn't there. Now, I had these, and I'll show you, uh, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. So yeah. I took a card, and I clipped it to it, and I just wrote on the card, I have a message for you from your sister. And I gave it to the person on the counter, and they I never got nothing back from her. So I went back again, I had a ball cap, which said municipal police gander. So I put another thing to it, and put it in, and then 6.30 in the evening, she calls. So I went down, I gave it a hug, and I gave it a message. She said, my sister said to expect you. And I said, well, and, I, and, and after that, we took her around to the different schools, everything that was, you know. And when she went back to Atlanta, she was doing interviews, and she told this reporter about this town cop in Gander, Newfoundland, that took time out from what he was doing to look, track her down, to give her a hug. So they called it a hug that was heard around the world. That's a beautiful story. It is. Yeah. It, it's and, and of course, it caught me off guard when it said a hug that was heard around the world. But that's that's, you know. Do you get nervous when you see um, each new production? No, no. I, you know, I was nervous for the first production. It was the the Broadway. Opening. Yes. Yeah. No. Well, they came to Gander before they went to Broadway. Right. And. Like Australians, you guys have your own type of language, your own way. Yeah. And mainlanders, you know, because you're an island, so mainlanders try and copy it in some way, and they're brutal at it. For Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, it's the same thing. I'm a little bit different in, in a lot of ways because I would, grew up in Gander, and I was influenced by the international flights, and we had a military base and everything else. So my language is, is a little bit more mainlandish than it is Noof. Um, but whenever we saw a program on TV or a documentary or anything else like this, they tried to copy what we said, how we said it. And God almighty, they done such a terrible job. And then that was my worry when I uh, was going to go in and watch the play. Uh, how are they going to sound? Are they going to, you know, um, uh, as they say, bastardize uh, our language, uh, our sayings? And when I come out of there, I was uh, sort of gobsmacked. And I said to the uh, one of the reporters, oh, my God, they got it. They got who we are. They got what we are. And it was just amazing to watch. And then when I saw the Toronto cast, it was the same thing. Uh, the linguistic coach that they have, Joel Golds, mm. he done an amazing job. You know, he was coming down and listened to us, how we talk and everything else, and then he was applying it to what he heard from us, too. You know, because there is a way to say Newfoundland. See, it's understand Newfoundland. Uh, a lot of people call it Newfoundland or Newfoundland, you know, all kinds of weird stuff. But it's easy way is understand Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Yes, there you are. You got it. And that's exactly how it's set. I've earned my pin. Yes, right. You've earned your pin. Now, when you come to the rock, you'll earn your, your certificate for being screeched in. Absolutely. Well, you're going to, there's a, um, uh, the, the, the Australian tour is uh, recommencing in, in July. I think um, it's about to open in, on the Gold Coast. Yes. 
and then uh, at the Melbourne Comedy Theatre from August 27th and the Theatre Royal in Sydney from November 5th. Uh, there's a, a, a new um, cast of actors yes. in, the, in the production, yeah. so that will be exciting for you to see, having yes. seen the original yes. Australian cast. Yeah, you know, the... <laughs> Now it seems you know Simon and everything. I'm Simon Maiden. Yeah, I got to say, well, he had a second-class fellow playing me. Now they've got to get a real fellow. <laughs> tell Simon I said that. I think he'll listen to it. He'll be, he'll be very chuffed to yeah. hear that. You know, one of the things, like, if you catch Brian and myself together, yeah. we're always taking cheap shots at each other. Yeah. And if you like a person, that's what you do in Newfoundland and Labrador. You, we, we take cheap shots at each other. You give as good as you get, type of deal. So, if, you know, like uh, Brian called me fat and I call him ugly, but uh, I can diet and you can't do it. <laughs> what you got? That type of deal. So that's, that's, but that's what it is. And so, you know, uh, I, I met all the cast and they were just great. Well, from memory, I think it's an actor called Joe Kosky who's playing Oz this time round. So, I guess you get to build um, particular connections and relationships yes. with all the Oz fudges yes, around the world. Yeah, around the world. My uh, my daughter calls them fake dads, daughter Lisa. Because yeah. she was Commander Gander during uh, the 9-11 uh, when we had the birthday party for the Wish Kids. Yeah. She dressed up as Commander Gander, so she calls each one of them fake dads. <laughs> and uh, so... You know, she's, uh, and, and when they talk to her, I'm fake dad number one or number three or number four. <laughs> yeah. Did you know about that with the Wish Kids? And, no, 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 no. Oh, I hadn't heard right. that. No, there was a uh, Wish Kids. There was 120 of them, really. 60 went in Lillisport and 60 were in Gander. And uh, on the Friday, I get a phone call from Kelly Sevier, and she says, Oz, did you know that there's 60 wish kids at St. Paul's? And I said, no, dear God, I didn't. I, I knew, I seen the kids. And I'd go in and interact with them, but I knew, never knew that this was part of, of uh, the Make-A-Wish out of London, England. And she said, did you know that there's six young girls? It's their birthday today. And she said, I asked to have a birthday party, but we got turned down. And I said, now why in the name of all this holy would you be turned down? Well, there's 54 other kids and they didn't want to single out the six. Now these six young girls are all terminal. Mm -hmm. They wanted to go to Disney World to have the Tinkerbell fairy tale princess style birthday party. So I thought for a second and I said, well, forget What we're gonna do is we're gonna have a birthday party for 450 because that's how many people at school. So now you can't say you left anybody out. Yeah, Even yeah. the volunteers are going to have their birthday party today. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due, uh, the staff at St. Paul's, the teachers and their volunteers, as well as Kelly. And uh, like my daughter helped out. We had a... a um, when you think of Disney World, mascots, you think of Goofy and, you know... Yeah, Mickey and Donald. And so we never had that, of course. So my daughter dressed up as Commander Gander. I, I always make fun of her, said she had the right size of beak to fit in there, <laughs> in the costume. But, uh, and the RCMP had this great big bear with the uh, uh, red surge on it. And we had Mary Brown's chicken, and we had the A&W root beer, 
and our local co-op store at Mom Pop Bears. So that's what they did. They, you know, we went around and we got those bears. And then our local co-op store, our grocery store, they made the cake. Now, of course, you can't just make one little cake uh, for 450 people. So there was a cake that was about eight feet long and about two and a half feet wide, and it took up two tables. And uh, our local uh, Canadian Tire store, they you know they have a bit of everything in it. They had a children's toy section. They supplied all the birthday gifts for the kids. Now the six girls, of course, they wanted this Tinkerbell mm. thing. So there was four girls from my daughter's class. They had these gowns that they had from a Halloween party the previous year. So they went home and put on their gowns and made the tiaras and the wands. And they went back to the school and they told the six little girls that Tinkerbell had contacted them and sent them to the school to let them know that Tinkerbell was thinking of them and wanted to wish them a happy birthday. And that's the type of thing that went on during 9-11. Yeah. And it was just amazing what was done in that school. And it took them three hours. Call to me came in at 11 o'clock. And at 2 o'clock, the party started. And I was there. And it was just amazing to watch. They also had uh, balloons and clowns and you name it. It was all done in three hours. And that's all that food put together. Everything was done. And uh, around 3.30, hour and a half into the, the speaker comes on and they said, well, your flight's going to be leaving, so we're going to need you to go back and start to pack up your stuff. And I'm uh, leaving. And um, fellow standing in the doorway, and he's there like this, iron folded, and he goes, come here. So I walk over and he said, I have something to tell you. And I said, oh, what's that? He said, my daughter is one of the six that it's her birthday today and she is terminal. And we've just been told that our flight has to go back to origin. It's a Virgin Airlines, so it had to go back to London. It could not go on to the United States, to Disney World. And so we said, we sat her down and asked her what she thought. And he said, I have a message for everybody here. It's okay. My daughter said, I had such a good time here. I was treated so good here that it's okay. And I, you know, and I'm supposed to be this big hairy ass cop. And I almost cried right there when I had to leave. Uh -huh. I don't know what he thought of me leaving so fast. But the message was, it's okay. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. That's and, yet another story that demonstrates the, yes, the, the heart yes. and spirit of, of uh, the Newfoundlanders. Have I got that right? Newfoundlanders. Newfoundlanders. Yes. <laughs> you start sounding like a mainlander again. Uh, but it's, uh, for me, the, uh, the amazement part, and for me, uh, again, I got to drive around to all the places, and I got to watch what people were doing. And, and you know, if a person was crying, then someone from the town was over, hugging them, talking to them. And if you were in Gander, and you said, geez, I'd like to go to 20 Gate. I hear this place is really nice. Car would pull up. Wouldn't cost you anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
pull up, take you. Oh, I'd love to go to a nice beach somewhere. You got a beach? And car pull up, gone. No one, no one asked for money. No one, we were almost insulted if you offered money. And, and I, my daughter, Lisa, I was telling you, she worked at the Greco Pizza. And I'm there just checking on her, see how she was doing. Because she's uh, bilingual. She speaks French and English, so they, they've been using her. And in comes this fellow, and he orders a little pizza, and it was six-something, and he gave $10 American. We're trying to figure out the difference, because Canadian dollars only worth 66 cents back then. And he grabs me by the arm, and he said, Sir, please tell her to keep the change. I've been trying to spend some money in this town since I got here, and no one will let me. And that's, I think that's what blew the Americans away. I mean, this was not an opportunity to make money. And I know it's hard to say, but it's, you know, we gave and didn't care. Uh, if I can tell you one more. Yeah. You remember, uh, have you you've seen the play? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you times. see the part where the, the Walmart employee says, would you like to come home for a shower with me? <laughs> yes. That is true. <laughs> yeah. I was in the community center because yeah. I had heard that we had closed, uh, there was no hockey. They were using it for a uh, refrigerator. So I'm there and I'm talking to some gentleman from the States and I was telling them that Newfoundland and Labrador was Canada's best kept secret. That they, you know, the, the mainland don't want people to know what we're like. And these four fellows walk in and I look over and he goes, you guys are nuts. And I go, what? He said, you guys are nuts. And I said, why is that? He said, I was at Walmart and I was going through the cash and the girl looked up at me said, are you one of the plain people? Well, yes, I am. Would you like to come home with me for a shower? <laughs> and he said, he laughed. And he said, yes, I would love a shower. She said, anybody else with you? Yeah, I'm my three friends. Over to the manager, comes back, come on, let's go. Gets in the car, goes to her house, goes in, he said, and shower's here. Here's all the towels and everything. There's a full closet full. The kitchen is there, you know, uh, coffee, tea, milk, the fridge is full. Take what you want. You want to cook something up, go ahead. TV is there. You want to stay for a couple hours, watch TV, fine with me. See you later. I'm going back to work. And he stopped and said, you, you, what do you mean you're going back to work? Yeah, yeah. And he said, we could steal everything in this house of value. And you would never know who we are because there's 7,000 of us. And he said she stopped and she looked at him and said, so it can be replaced. And she left. He said, that would never happen where I'm from. That would never happen. And that's just, look, there's, there's, I mean, I've done it. And I know it was done in St. John's. Tourists couldn't get a car. People give them their car. It sounds like a place like no other place. Can. Well, I, I like to, I, you know, truthfully, yeah. my own person, I like to think that Australia is a lot like Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah. On, on our own, our own type of language, yeah. our own type of animals. We have the Newfoundland dog and the Newfoundland pony, and we have the Labrador dog, and we, you know, we have a few other things. Like, like and you guys have your thing, only some are a little bit more... <laughs> venomous <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's 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 that island type of uh atmosphere mm. is that you know you know you're on your own mm. Mm. you know people can fly in 
when it's not like you can get in your car and drive to New York. Yeah. Well, Oz, welcome back to Oz. <laughs> My daughter, when I came here last time, got me a T-shirt and it says Australia and it OS or OZ. Perfect, yeah. perfect. It's been lovely to meet you. Thank you for your stories um, and uh, the story that indeed has inspired this this wonderful juggernaut of a musical which has conquered the world, come from away. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the message can get out there uh, to the people of Australia is go watch it. You won't be disappointed. It'll be one of the, you know, you'll sit there and you'll, you'll laugh and you'll cry but when you come out of there, you're going to feel good. And when you come out of there, you're going to say, that's the way I'd like to be. And I'm going to change. And we've had a lot of people do that and say that. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Come From Away has recently concluded a season on Queensland's Gold Coast. This perfect musical will soon commence a return season in Melbourne at the Comedy Theatre from August 27th. Sydney audiences will have the chance to embrace the show once again when it plays the Theatre Royal from November 5th. Seasons in Canberra, Auckland and Wellington follow in 2023. It really is a superior show and performed by a stellar ensemble of actors who include Zoe Gertz, Philip Lowe, Natalie O'Donnell, Emma Powell and Joe Kosky, who incidentally plays the role of Oz Fudge. Who has been my terrific guest in this episode of The Stages Podcast? Thank you, Oz, for a fascinating conversation. Thanks for joining us in this episode. As always, you can check out the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting the website www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Eyers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. Stages.